Today on Sagittarian Matters, long-distance relationships, breakups, bedbug machines, activism, allyship, advice, and more with my very special guest, Zari Asayan. Stay tuned. Zari Asayan is the founder of a feline appreciation society called Cat Club. She loves a good fight, lives in New York, and you may recognize her from episode 136 as the voice of Anonymous Butch, in episode 166 in which she saved a kitten off a busy freeway and then got it lost in her car. Zari joined us from New York to give advice about long-distance relationships, breakups, activism, trolling on the internet, and more. Please enjoy my talk with Zari Asayan. Zari, you're a Pisces. To me, you feel like an Aries because I know you love a good fight. And this makes you an excellent, an excellent guest for Sagittarian Matters to answer advice questions. Thank you. I do identify as conflict attracted. Um, I know there's only a few of us. Gay people love to be avoidant. I definitely gravitate towards the fight. I'm looking for a fight. And I often take on a stance that I don't even believe in just so I can argue with somebody. So is that pleasant for other people? Um, I think I could be convincing. So I don't necessarily know people don't know that I don't have any investment in what I'm talking about. It's probably a personality disorder, but <laughs> right now we'll just call it Aries. Um, sorry, you're in New York. Yes. You're in New York. How has your quarantine been? Uh, fantastic. I loved it. loved every minute of it. I never want it to be over. I, it's not it's really not any different than my regular life aside from maybe seeing someone on the weekend. But aside from that, it's exactly the way I want it, if not better, because um, people are now staying six feet away from me in public. How are you enforcing that? My strategies have varied throughout the quarantine. I, I went from muttering behind a mask to losing it and yelling, get the fuck away from me, fuck all of you, to yelling germ pod, to going Ugh, and jumping onto the street. And my new thing is saying, where's your mask? And then saying, I need six feet. Hot. Um, what I've been saying lately, actually, I just noticed I was doing this the other day, but I was pretending I was on the phone and I was going, no mask, no mask. There's two people here, mask under their chin. This person's not wearing a mask. These two don't seem to have a mask. So I, I just, I wanted to kind of address the whole street at once, loudly <laughs> in a way that, I mean, that's passive aggressive, which is not even my usual style. I, I love direct aggression, but I don't know. In this case, it's like, I don't really know. Cause I'm like, 
I don't know. It's like, where does this start and where does this end? Like, I, I just, I don't know where we're at. There's people like hanging out in large groups in front of bars now at nighttime. No one's wearing a mask. You know, we're all at demonstrations. Nobody's social distancing there. It's, it's kind of like, it, it seems like it's kind of phasing out of something. And so I, I'm being more relaxed. Before, I would really only go out like super late at night. Or I would go um, kind of in weird areas. So I, I really, I try, I, I took the initiative to kind of protect myself, and I didn't, I, I didn't spend too much time worrying about what other people were doing. I just started like kind of keeping off hours. Sometimes I would only go out at, at like ten thirty at night for the first time all day. But yeah, other than just like yelling, yelling on the street. I, I mean, it, it's New York. I'm around fifty million people. Like it would just be impossible to try and you know address everybody doing the wrong thing. Dear Sagittarian Matters, my longtime spouse left me for someone they just met. They moved in with this person and are super happy and in love, and our child spends half of his time there, after which he comes home full of stories about how wonderful it is and how great the new person is. Do you have any tips for not hating my ex and their new partner with every fiber of my being for the rest of my life? Thank you. From Troubled in Tallahassee. Dear Tallahassee, you know, there are a lot of pools in Florida, so I'm glad you sent us this question. Yes. I honestly think I'm going to go back to some standard principles here of keep the focus on yourself. The more, and you, sorry, I think you might have different, a different or, you know, response. So please just get ready. I, <laughs> I feel like keep the focus on yourself. So the more time you spend nourishing yourself, making yourself happy, putting energy into that bucket, the less the less miserable you're going to be in general. And the less miserable you are, the less you're going to like seek more reasons to just feed that misery. Um, you know, and there's that, that saying too of like, you know, when you resent somebody, it's like you're taking poison and expecting them to die. It doesn't matter how much you hate on your partner or their girlfriend or their life or them being happy in a different way or whatever. Like that's not going to make your life any better. So at a certain point, I understand you're going through the stages of grief and this is the anger stage probably, but at a certain point you need to cut it the fuck out so you can enjoy your life because you're just going to keep hearing this from your kid and you can't make a boundary with your kid because you want your kid to feel like everyone's on the same team so they don't feel fractured within themselves. So I think, you know, give yourself some time to feel it, but then just know that you really need to be nourishing the plant that is you. Even when you're like, this doesn't feel like anything. It feels like it's never going to end. This feels pointless, whatever. Like you just have to keep doing it. It's just a practice. Tallahassee. So, um, Nicole, that's great advice. I'm slightly more dysfunctional than you. And so here's my advice, Tallahassee. Number one, every time your kid comes home, with another story of the incredible pool party that they're coming home from and all of the new local neighbors that they've met who all have exciting careers as child stars or whatever they're doing over there. Say to yourself in your head, you're nuts. Every time that kid says anything, imagine it. We had such a fun pool party. Just say, really? And then in your head go, you're fucking nuts. Like, I just feel like if you just dismissed your child as having a false sense of reality, <laughs> that could help you just not think too deeply about what they're bringing to the table. So to me, that takes care of the child element. I would say, honestly, and I always wish I could give this 
I wish that this advice could really trans transfer like the emotional state that I'm describing, but none of us are in pain. I would assume most of us are not still in pain from relationships that we had five years ago, even 10 years ago. We can, we, we will know what we miss about a certain person. Ideally, they'll still be in our life. So we don't always have to miss those things because they can still be around in, in, a, in a platonic way. But ultimately, with time, you will see why it actually made sense for you to not be together. It's just that you don't have that clarity because you don't have that distance yet. But if you can look back at your own track record, most likely most of the people whose relationships didn't play out or stay long term for you, would you do you you wouldn't really want to go back into those relationships. And you're not heartbroken about those people still, but also you can probably remember times in which you were really heartbroken over those people. I think when you're in the stage where you're still like mourning the actual relationship and the companionship, it's very tied into like day-to-day type type stuff of which over time you're going to start reestablishing those day-to-day things either on your own or with friends or with new dates or like however that looks, but it's the disentangling part. I think that actually is more painful sometimes than losing the actual person because people can be get, become really embedded into your life. And then that's what starts to feel normal. So I feel like it can just feel really also just really jarring to have that change abruptly. So you actually can sometimes I feel like pack it all into like one feeling, which is just like anger and sadness. I think it's more complex than that. Anyway, so I just think if you have a good sense of self and you know your worth, you know that if this person is leaving you for someone else that feels like a better match for them, you know, it's cliche, but they're doing you the favor because then you you actually deserve somebody that really chooses you like on a daily basis. And that's where you're going to be happy. You know, that that's the kind of companionship and partnership that you should be like striving for in your life right now. So it's not to say that they're doing you a favor by not being with you, but it's just almost like it's not your torch to carry. It's kind of like, you know, we're, we're all still, you know, I'm assuming you're at the first half of your life right now. There's so many like years ahead. Sometimes it just gives me a good feeling to just know in 12 months, I'm not going to feel like this. And sometimes that's the only thing that like gets me through the day to day. Yeah. You've definitely felt, this bad or worse before and then you got to a better point and so you can get to a better point again I mean I know for queer people I want to go out on a limb and say for queer people sometimes because our families of origins are a bit fraught it can feel extra painful to have to extract yourself from an entire family structure during a breakup so like if you've gotten to know someone's parents if you have been like embedded in that if you've built a family with them if you're like just the family part of that can feel extra harsh and extra grating. So this person's probably feeling a lot of extra pain that then they're feeling the flip side of that, which is anger too. Yeah. And I would say also like everyone's so happy in the beginning, like it's impossible. It, anyone, I'm, you know, I'm a fucking negative. Can I curse? Yeah, you go ahead and curse. You're I'm negative. negative. I'm just like, you like each other now, you're going to fucking hate each other in a year. And guess what? Everyone breaks up. I mean, that's the bottom line. Anytime in my past I've ever felt any jealousy of an ex, I'm just like, you're definitely breaking up. I know that's not good. It's not good. And it's probably karmically horrible. 
but it's always true. And it always just can get me through like the dark times. And just as like an aside, and it's kind of morbid, but no one is dead. I always think about that as the bottom line, as being someone who's literally like just lost so many people in my life that really true, 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 the truest, saddest, most horrible thing that could really happen is if someone is not alive. And if so, if everyone in the situation is still alive, there's hope to get through it. Everyone can get better. It, it's actually not that bad. So sometimes I have to also contextualize things in that way just to kind of right size where I'm at and what I'm feeling. I found that the more I've tried to be in the practice as I've grown up of keeping my side of the street clean, that has paid me back. And it's felt like shit sometimes because there's something in me that just wants to go low that just wants to be like, well, you know what? And just whatever. But keeping my, <laughs> but keeping my side of the street clean has served me in the long run. And it's made me feel, I don't know. It just has, it's like looking back, I'm just like, oh, wow, that was very hard to do at the time. And I'm very glad. And the times where I haven't, where I've like sent off the email that you're supposed to just save. Um, those are low moments. Because also then that person has some documentation of something that you're really not proud of. So as much as you can keep your side of the street clean, I think it's going to come back at you. I think it's going to pay dividends for you in the long run, especially like if you have to be attached to this person for the next however many years, however old your kid is, like you're going to want to keep your side of the street clean so they don't have any shit to fling at you. So later you have a, a leg to stand on. Yeah, I'd agree. And I also would say for me, like as a coping strategy sometimes to save myself from myself, less is more. And that includes not asking about this person to mutual friends, not doing any kind of surveillance, internet lurking, keeping the interactions to a minimum until you can emotionally be in a healthier place. And really just kind of try and make a concerted effort to emotionally um, separate yourself from what that person's day-to-day now looks like. Cause it's going to be really tempting to like compare what they're doing. Right. Cause they're like in a totally different reality. You're dealing with the heartbreak. They're in like honeymoon land. It's just never going to feel good to kind of be watching what they're doing at the moment. So I, I would definitely, you know, I feel like everything is online, so it's easy to want to look, but that never, it just never makes you feel good. So I would say however that plays out or however it could play out, even if you're on decent terms with them, I would say like muting, blocking, unfriending. I feel like all of that should just be standard fare, like right off the bat in a non-punitive way. Yeah. I have two more small things to add. One about the keeping your side of the street clean is fake it till you make it. You might feel messy now. You might feel like you want to like text them. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Keep your side of the street clean. And then eventually that will feel normalized. And that will just be the way that you conduct yourself. And like that trigger finger thing, like you can, you can sit through that feeling. You can sit through the trigger finger feeling of like, what if I sent, what if I wrote this text and then sent it? Like sit through that feeling. Give it, you know, it's best served cold. And you probably later when it's cold are going to be like, oh, I don't want to do that. Um, I do want to say also it's the quit taking it personally. The thing like it might be easy. I just know from breakups, like it might be easy to look at what they're doing and take it personally. And be like, Look, I meant nothing to them. This past decade meant nothing. They're already moving on. Okay. It was worthless. It was worthless. My time on earth was worthless with them. But if you really sit back, like they have their own path, their own timeline, they're going to process it differently. And if they're stuffing their feelings right now with another person and a groovy experience and real estate, 
that pain is going to come out in a different way, just so you know. And it's not personal. Their coping strategy has nothing to do with you. This is how they would cope with anything or not cope with anything. And it doesn't mean that your time together wasn't valuable or that you guys aren't going to be able to share some kind of mutual respect or care in the future. It just means right now it's maybe it's too painful for them to look at. Actually, yes, I totally agree. And on that, I would also say like sometimes it also helps me to be like, when in my life have I ever done something similar to this? Just so it's not so dichotomized of like good and bad. And it's like, to me, if I've acted poorly or maybe I left someone for someone that I was dating and knew them very briefly, just to put myself in their shoes so it doesn't just sound like this this thing that's kind of bigger really than it is. Because also, FYI, I probably also broke up with the people I've left people for. So like I said, everyone breaks up. But a, it, additionally, it just helps me be like, you know what, like just to have compassion for that person. Because if you're not having compassion for them, you're probably just contributing to your own suffering. So if you can just figure out a way to be like, yeah, I've, I, that's happened to me. I've totally had a relationship that kind of just started building on its own and then got out of control. And then I just felt like I couldn't turn it off. It's like most likely more, more, more of us than not have had something similar happen in our own personal life. And we know that it really actually doesn't have anything to do about how much you love the person that you are with or you know, it's just like sometimes we act out and sometimes we don't do things perfectly. And sometimes sometimes we wish we made different decisions so that we ended up with different outcomes. But it's like literally everybody's just learning how to be adults and navigate adult relationships. And I would argue co-parent ending up with a kid and being together for in a long term relationship. I mean, that's success on its own. Like we're not straight people. We don't all have to be together forever in like a fairy tale way. Like we're slutty. We're weird. And, you know, we're all kind of screwed up. Everybody's in different states of recovery or addiction or who even knows what. But I just feel like ultimately, like, nobody's perfect. Like, so you don't have to be perfect in your process with this, but they're also not going to be perfect in their process with this. Do you ever think about that sign that sometimes is hanging in an office that says Pope? <laughs> that says Pope is perfect. <laughs> that says what? That says- that says Pobody's nerfect. <laughs> it's like somebody made this time with the <laughs> Yeah, I get the joke. Never. I don't know what office you work in, but not in my office. I'm gonna hang I'm hanging at my home office. Today's episode is brought to you by Perry Huntoon, Leo Fitzpatrick, Ralphie, Demetra Halutsos, Kaya Wilson, Jane Pyatt, Elise Miller, Leah Engel, Sam Cohen, Emily Helmus, Jill Pruitt, Maria Turner Carney, Robert Daniel, Bridget Sweet, Michelle Lemoyne, Mary Pinson, Jill Soloway, Christy Harrod, and Shoshana Ruth Wechter. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, especially and in particular producer Chris Sutton, Please send $5, $5 million, that's your choice, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. Or, this just in, he's got a Venmo. It's Hell Books on Venmo. That's H-E, double hockey sticks, books. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it, too.
don't be scared. That's just Ponyo's speaking voice. P.S. We want to give a very special shout out this week to Dr. Katie Spencer for her exquisite vocal services. Thank you, Dr. Spencer. Dear Sagittarius Matters, do you have any tips for long distance relationships, especially during this hard quarantine time? From Quizzical in Quebec. Whoa, really? Um, Quizzical in Quebec, you are singing my heart song right now as I am actually in a long distance relationship, but to top it all off, it is COVID. And to top that off, the border's closed. So I've been navigating this terrain myself and it's been pretty awful. I'd say it's quite challenging, but I did get pretty good advice from a friend recently as like the border closure extensions continued and I was starting to feel like, well, what is my relationship now? Like, could I just literally create an app that became my girlfriend? Would that be the same thing? Like, where is the real person in this? Like, I have no tangible evidence that this is somebody who I interact with intimately. And a friend of mine was just like, you need to make sure that your long distance relationship is intact and that you have a practice that helps both of you feel connected in a long distance way like prior to this i would say most of my focus was on the face-to-face interactions of my relationship and then the in-between time was just like this filler that we had to get through Mm -hmm. but now that it's kind of for this indefinite amount of time we've had to like kind of reestablish like what does our our long-term relation our long distance relationship is its own relationship it's not it's not separate to the real relationship it's actually that also has to be a functioning relationship so my partner and I specifically, we've tried to kind of, uh, you know, they're very tired. They get very tired. They have a very demanding job. So at night, in order just to kind of touch base regularly, we started doing a thing where like I read to them while they're going to sleep. It's not like a baby daddy thing or anything. It's just like, (laughs) they're really tired. I'm trying to consistently read my book and also like not have electronics on before I go to sleep. So that's been really nice and it does feel pretty intimate and touching base on the morning and then finding like a day of the week where you can really, you know, uh, maybe FaceTime or Zoom and read together side by side or help each other with little projects that you've both been avoiding or just kind of like literally hang out on an afternoon on a video call and even and, and being intentional about clearing that space up and showing up for each other, I found helps create like a long distance uh, dynamic that feels more, more fulfilling. Would you say that there are some perks to a long distance relationship that might help the, uh, what is that called, a writer, writer-inner? Whoever just submitted that question, just to be on like the bright side and focus on some of the positive, uh, you know, aspects to a long distance relationship. Is there anything that you, you found that you maybe are unintended consequences to distance with somebody you're dating? Unintended bonus bonuses. Yeah. Well, the bonuses would be that you get, I mean, for better or for worse, you get space to, engage in your friendships in a particular way to engage in like if you need personal space you know at home or you you get plenty of time alone you just get wow what a wealth of time alone 
Can we just have a side note of when I came to see you, the bed bug situation? Mm-hmm. So I, I came to visit you. I had come from uh, Linda Berry Workshop in upstate New York, and I was going to stay at your house. And can we describe the procedures required to come into your home at the time? I'd like to also <clears throat> bring this. This is now a... Uh, this is an interesting thing that I've been thinking about recently. Remember when bed bugs was the biggest thing that we feared when going to each other's houses and now it's like a life-threatening illness? Okay. Yeah. I was thinking about that recently. I'm like, am I even going to bring out my bed bug oven anymore? Like, I, I feel like that's the least of my worries. They'd be like a welcome companion at this point. Like, house is kind of quiet. But my usual protocol for visitors, especially ones such as yourself gallivanting around the country, large groups of strangers, were you also at like a hippie retreat center that was yeah. doubling like, a writing workshop or something? Um, so especially in New York City, because I've had, you know, I've lived in houses that have had bed bugs three different times. You run out of, you know, uh, disposable income and you invest in a $250 bed bug tent and then you set it up in your home and you tell the person walking in with all of their bags. Also, by the way, why are people all traveling with like 16 bags? I have n- Everyone has a tote and a wheelie bag and a backpack. I'm just like, how long are you staying here for? Literally people come to my house for one night and they have like a wheelie cart. Anyway, I had been away for like a month. You know what? It's when I say you, it's just like all people. Okay. It's really, it's just everyone has their reason, right? I have a baby. Like I, it's like I know. Okay, every every old gear is with everybody all the time. So um, yeah, I just make people. It's no big deal. They just have to strip down, wear an outfit that I've given them. That's usually like um, what would that be called? Quitters, like home home casual. Oh well, in my case, it was a pair of boxer shorts and a shirt that said Armenia. Hot. Oh God, you're welcome. Um, yeah. So you put on it, you give them house slippers, you give them a sensible outfit. Um, and then you take all of their belongings and throw them in a, an oven and then anything that might, that you don't want to melt, which theoretically would be all your things, but some things matter more than others. Those go in a tightly sealed plastic bag, not to be opened while you're at my house. And then the rest of your stuff gets heated to 140 degrees for two hours and then you're free. It's it's just like when you get home from the grocery store and you're spraying that Clorox bleach all over your packages and your cardboard and wh- whatever else. And then once you're done, you're like, oh, now I can eat this stuff. It's the same concept. It's just that I'm just, you know, heating your stuff up so then you can wear it. Ask me how many times I've had bed bugs since I had that machine. I don't want to jinx it, but how many times have you had bed bugs since you got that machine? One minus one. What does that mean? Simple math, Nicole. Before the pandemic, people would think of you as being hypervigilant. And now you're looking very reasonable. Amen. Let me tell you, the minute this shit broke, Beth Pickens was like, you are going to be the only person in New York State who does not end up with this virus. And she's right. I know how to isolate. I move to not popular parts of the city. I don't let anyone in my house unless it's an emergency. When, I, when people are in my house, they get a um, uniform and then all of their stuff gets almost burned, like in order to be in here. <laughs> I don't want people touching too much. You know, if we want to eat, let's just leave the house. You know, I keep my interactions to a minimum. And I mean, I feel great about it. I haven't actually felt at risk at all. And I'm in, the, in a hot spot. But I mean, the virus feels very far away. <laughs> Knock on wood. 
Hi listeners, it's me, Nicole. If you would like to support me and Ponyo, in particular our comics and animal illustrations, go to patreon.com slash Nicole J. Georges. And for as little as $2 a month, you can have access to hundreds of pages of otherwise unpublished diary comics. For the price of one cold brew plus tip, you can become an honorary Sagittarian. And for the price of two vegan cupcakes or two vegan donuts, you can become a Ponyo's Friend Club member, at which point you really start raking in goods, including new buttons. Check it out. Patreon.com slash Nicole J. Georges. Dear Sagittarian Matters, I am a white person and I am feeling overwhelmed by the current political situation. What are ways for me to be helpful once the marches subside? Signed, helpful in Houston. What are ways for white people to be helpful right now? I like that term, helpful. And what? I like that term, helpful. Yeah, I guess I like it too. Um, We're good allies. Look, Houston. There's a few uh, things I've been thinking about that white people can be doing at the moment for the long haul, um, depending on what your finances are. Obviously, there's, you know, you can sign up to be a monthly donor to, which is a great, you know, entire concept of redistribution of resources, but like a redistribution of wealth is donate to the ACLU, donate to Black Lives Matter donate to, um, I mean, different bail relief funds, literally all over the country, really just pick one. There's like a million. Um, I feel like, yeah, reoccurring donations can be helpful. Calling senators, uh, Congress people, getting active in your communities, checking even like Facebook groups, just like looking on Facebook and typing in the name of your neighborhood and see what kind of progressive organizations are around that you could potentially get involved in because they'll really have like their finger on the pulse in terms of legislative issues or community meetings or ways that you can organize that can be really local. That can be obviously more effective than what we end up feeling like we can do on a national level. I think conversations the key that white people have is access to racist overtly racist conversations and i think that that's like uh that's that's a that's an opportunity and a half people feel especially people with bad politics or you know who are trying to get their racist ideas out in really subtle ways using code speak or dog whistling and stuff i feel like if you're able to have access to have conversations with those people uh, as best as you can. That can go a long way. And I say this as somebody who worked in construction in New York, in the, in the union in New York for 10 years. I've had so many awful conversations with people that just really, it's, it was like a you know 10-year uphill battle addressing so many offensive concepts and statements and just rhetoric and jargon and everything, you know, the unions tend to be very Trumpy in New York. Um, and, you know, I would say maybe nine times out of 10, totally pointless. I might as well just be talking to a brick wall, but I would say one out of 10 people on an average, I would say you can see that you move them a little bit. A lot of people don't have 
great information. And a lot of people watch one television station, you know, and so they actually literally some people just have never heard of certain concepts, have never educated themselves on certain histories, and they have no intention on doing so. But if you can articulate yourself, and you know, your facts, and you can have, you know, dynamic conversations with people who disagree with you, that can go a long way, because that person then brings that home, they're potentially raising their child in that environment, and you could have just kind of offset the chain of generational racism or sexism, or ableism, or fat phobia. I mean, the whole nine, I, you know, that work is all intersectional, but those are just some things that, you know, I think off the top of my head. Yeah, I, you know, I'm remembering back to after the 2016 election, Beth Pickens put out that pamphlet called Making Art During Fascism, and she was leading these workshops at the Women's Center for Creative Work, and I led the workshop one week, and basically it's like sitting down with yourself and getting, instead of I feel like white people are feeling uncomfortable right now, and rightfully so, and welcome to this uncomfortable feeling because the people that you're now advocating for have felt that times a trillion. Um, but sitting down with yourself, and instead of just being like, I can't do one action, so I'm garbage, and now I'm going to be paralyzed in like the feeling of that I'm garbage and I'm not doing anything, um, instead of doing that, sit down and, and write down what resources do you have to give? What resources do you not have to give? And, you know, what are some specific groups within that? Like, Zara, you just said a wonderful list. And there's so many lists circulating online of places to donate to or volunteer with. You know, which of those groups in particular feel close to your heart that benefit a group that's not you? And so then, you know, see if you can connect those lines. So, like, maybe you can go to protests and put your white body on the line. Wonderful. Maybe you can't, but you have money. Wonderful. Like figure out, um, I know this week I just picked a different group every day of the week to donate money to. And you might feel like money is tight and maybe it is. Maybe that's not something you can do. Or maybe you can just think, well, reparations are going to be uncomfortable. And so then you make yourself a little uncomfortable. Maybe you absolutely have no money and you only have volunteer hours to give. That's helpful too. Education's important. They're, all the things are important. All the things add up, but it's just a matter of keeping doing it. And one thing that I have really... Um, really enjoy the discomfort of over time is uh, speaking up when I am involved in institutions or events where it's just white people or it's just white straight people. Uh, I've really alienated myself from a lot of different people in comics by speaking up about that. And you know what? I have a lot of white privilege happening. So why not? Like I'm a, it's better for me to do that than to put that on somebody else. So if you see, if you're invited to an event, if you have a publisher, if you're involved in an institution and you see like, oh, they're only teaching white books. Oh, all the instructors are white. Oh, all the instructors are men. Whatever the thing, oh, like there's no trans people on this reading list. There's, you know, there's whatever, whatever the thing is that's intersectional, speak up about that and, and make yourself uncomfortable and, you know, make yourself unpleasant. Yeah. It is a perk of conflict attracted personality disorder because uh, I love to argue with every single person in the room, which I do even at my office job, unfortunately, because I worked with like a bunch of like suburban New Jersey people uh, whose politics leave a lot to be desired. And it's pretty much predominantly straight men. So you know, it's not, it's, it's, I would say it's probably an average, which actually it's, it's nice to be in a work environment where people are trying to sound PC. Actually, that's like a newer thing for me. I've been used to very like, kind of just like 
boorish type language and really just, you know, no shame, offensive behavior. And now I'm in an environment like a white collar environment and I'm seeing how that stuff kind of still, you know, the, the way that they can still kind of convey similar opinions just in a kind of more casual way. So it's good, you know, it's an opportunity also to call that out and, you know, bring up questions, you know, not to just let stuff linger in the room, but to bring up questions that call people on their bullshit and kind of also bring more attention to things that people are saying that they're kind of just hoping nobody's going to make a bigger deal out of, which is what I do all the time. So you can make a sport of it is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> I feel less conflict forward than you, but I do also like the question, just asking the question, like somebody says something and you just go, oh, wait, what did you say? And you just make them repeat the thing they said. And sometimes when it goes through the filter a second time and they see that someone's actively listening, they're like, oh, uh, and then you could be like, wow, did you really say that? You know, or like, oh, it's book list. Is there a reason why it's all white people? And just like, just ask the question. I think sometimes, because for me, I don't know. I have different relatives that I've tried different tactics with. And some of those tactics work better than others. And this tactic I find causes people to pause and be in discomfort in a way that makes their brain work for one second. I've been doing a new tactic. It's questionable, but I pretend to be a Christian and I've been, <laughs> I don't know who, you know, what communities people are adjacent to, like for their job or in kind of less personal type interactions. But I've been lately asking people if they're Christian, especially when I know that they're people who identify as Christian. And I've been like, if they say something like so hateful or xenophobic or whatever, I'll just be like, wait, I thought... I thought you were a Christian. Are you Christian? And then that actually has stopped people in their tracks and they have shut down the operation in real time. Also, I do this online because every now and then I like get into, I put my like liberal troll hat on and I just, I get into a mood. I drink a lot of coffee. I get online and I literally just do one liners to insult like every Republican and every racist on Twitter, on Instagram. It's, I don't even care. I'm not even reading their names. I'm barely reading their comments. I just want to like entertain myself by being really obnoxious to them. I know it's not productive, but my new thing has been, I'll pray for you. I keep saying I'll pray for you. And I just keep weird. I try to find like quotes from the Bible. I don't even know. I'm just trying to meet people where they're at and try to remind people that if you're supposed, if you claim to be such and such a person, which I do believe some of these people genuinely think they're good people, I'm like, follow through with your practice, what you preach. If, if you're, you know, if, I, I always say, how come the people who bring up, I say this online, why are the first people to bring up God, the people who act the least like Jesus? I literally do not know anything about Jesus. I don't know anything. I have zero idea what I'm talking about. I just know that that might go a long way. I don't know. People seem to really respond when you're on, like, <laughs> talking to a Republican when you bring up Jesus. So anyone can use any of these tactics. So far, they've been really su successful. I know they're not deprogramming like systemic racism or any of the isms. I know that. But I think, uh, yeah, in a, in a less in an interaction you're less invested in. I don't know. I pull the Christianity card. <laughs> I think that's very funny. It's also funny because I personally know your Twitter account handle is DJ Man Hate. <laughs> so that person <laughs> going into a chat room 
being like WWJD. I know. I know. It's crazy. And all of your tweets, if they just look at your profile, are about hating men. Oh, please. They they call me out on it. I was called a gender fluid freak recently, which is like so freaking funny. And yeah, man hating people get really furious about that. I'm like the conservative like Twitters, like when I'm tweeting on Donald Trump's thing or whatever, people are like, how could you? How could you? (laughs) Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Panyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time. you have an advice question for Sagittarian Matters, call or text our advice hotline, 971-361-9998. Leave a message. We might answer your question on the air, and we promise not to answer the phone. That is a Sagittarian promise that you can take all the way to the bank.